police officer, Aaron. Yes, sorry, police <laughs> officer. Welcome to Recotopia, a happy home for recommended movies, TV shows, music, video games, foodstuffs, and more from three people you can definitely trust. Trustability varies by region, no guarantees implied. Here are your hosts, Chris Atkinson, Jeremy Scott, and Aaron Dyson. I'm a slasher, and I must be stopped. You're a what? A slasher. A crisis. <laughs> Just kidding. I'm Simon Skinner. I run the local supermarché. Stop in and see me sometime. My discounts are criminal. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Recotopia, episode 103. I am joined by Aaron Dyson. Heidly ho, Cinerinos. And Jeremy Scott. Bam, bam. <laughs> I am Chris Atkinson. Today is uh, today's big recommend is Hot Fuzz and uh, welcome chat. Uh, thank you once again for coming out to watch us on a Tuesday. Uh, does anybody want to start us off with some small recommends? It's no big deal. It's so small and light. It's small. It's tiny. It's petite. It's wee. I am recently realizing my power as a beverage influencer mm -hmm. i know of i know of at least one person who after i raved about the liquid death teas on a previous episode went out and bought a couple cases of it yes he's one of our co-hosts aaron Dexter, <laughs> but i am certain listeners did the same um today i bring you a beverage i only discovered just yesterday just yesterday i was in the grocery with my wife and i saw what, what out of the corner of my eye looked like the Canada Dry Cranberry, which is a fantastic soft drink. They make it available year-round now instead of just at Christmas. They also have a blackberry ginger ale. It's also very excellent. But it wasn't the cranberry one. I looked closer, and it said Fruit Splash Cherry. There it is. Fruit Splash. They even make a zero-sugar version. It's Fruit Splash Cherry Ginger Ale. I bought the sugared version because I didn't see a zero-sugar. I took one sip and almost ran over to my wife, who loves the cranberry one, and handed it to her, and she was like, oh, we got to get the zero-sugar of this. Um, probably one of my favorite new soft drink flavors that I've tried in ages. Mm. Um, and I have seen it now in the last two days at Publix and at Kroger here in Tennessee, probably in your local uh, gas station. They had a big display in Kroger this morning. So I think uh, they're pushing it pretty hard. And I cannot recommend this enough if you have liked any of their fruit-tinged ginger ales in the past. There mm. you go. Canada mm. Dry, Fruit Splash, Cherry. Mm. I cannot promise that I won't immediately buy a case of this too. Uh, <laughs> I am firmly a Jeremy drink beverage follower uh, aficionado. Um, no, I had I had to get me some peach tea. Um, so has, yeah, it, has it, was, it arrived yet? Yeah, I uh, I got. I think the cases have eight in them, um, and they're like uh, just under two bucks a pop. Is it like the cheapest I could find them for? Um, so uh yeah i got one of the armless palmer <laughs> and uh one of the um rest in peach cases mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. uh enjoyed both very very much i think i like the peach a little bit better that's the one my I wife think I does want. too i think i like the lemon one a little better um yeah but it's i did try uh the just straight agave tea that didn't have any fruit mm -hmm. and that was just a little 
too sweet for me. It was basically like sweet tea, even though it's still only just yeah. a little bit of agave in there. But um, yeah. I, however, am not going to talk about beverages, but I am going to talk about pop. Uh, I'm going to talk about uh, The Greatest Night in Pop, uh, which oh. is on I Netflix. thought you meant like pot. <laughs> no, not that. Um, this is a documentary about the night that they recorded We Are the World. And oh. I will say the amount of uh, secondary footage and sound clips and things in this movie make it worth the price of your Netflix subscription for the month alone. Like it is really, really fascinating to be in this room with all of these mega super superstars trying to leave their ego at the door and trying to record this thing together. Like it is, if you've ever been in any kind of group recording experience, you know how interesting it can get, like how, you know, things can happen during the takes and how sometimes there's just that one person who just can't get it. And everybody has to kind of be patient with them. And, and that was Bob Dylan and perfect. So like, but that's the thing. It's like, it's, it's Michael Jackson, Lionel Richie, uh, Stevie wonder, um, Cindy Lauper, Bruce Springsteen and Ray char. Like you can just keep going on. And as interesting it is as it is to watch these superstars record this song, it is just as interesting, at least for me, to hear some of the backstory behind the writing of it, how it happened, how Lionel Richie and Michael Jackson were supposed to write it with Stevie Wonder, but Stevie Wonder would never call them back, so they just went ahead and wrote it, the two of them. And Stevie Wonder, <laughs> I'm giving away one of the stories, Stevie Wonder pops in uh, the day before the actual recording goes, okay, let's write this song. And they're like, dude, <laughs> we already wrote it. Um, so uh, Lionel Richie is a revelation in this. Uh, I have a lot of respect for that guy. And uh, he is a super talented musician. And I think that really comes through here. And he's so very personable and interesting. I didn't realize he hosted the American Music Awards the same day they recorded this. Oh, so wow. They and that's part of the story is how it uh, coincides with the American Music Awards. Um, and they just after the awards went over there and did this thing till like seven the next morning. And it's just it's it's wild to watch this. So I, so I think this is a, a really good watch. You prompted me to Google because I don't, this is who I am. I immediately thought, who's the lamest person that was part of this? <laughs> who's the least? Well, okay, you just killed my joke, but um. I was going to go with Cindy Lauper in terms of like, like the soloists, because you run down the list of soloists that I'm seeing here. Mm -hmm. And I mean, almost everyone is like a all time hall of fame icon. And Cindy Lauper was just popular at the time. Right. Um, and, um, but then you look over to the chorus. What the fuck is Dan Aykroyd doing here? <laughs> Somebody um, pushed for Bette Midler and Dan Aykroyd to be there. And that's why they were there. Who did? Somebody wanted them there. Oh, and Sheila E. <laughs> mm -hmm, well, I feel that's like a really interesting story. The Sheila E. thing is really interesting. And she is the, the other thing I liked about this, and I'm glad you prompted me on this, is that it's not afraid to get into kind of the nitty gritty a little bit. The Sheila E. thing, she's glad that she was a part of it. Obviously, she feels like she was a part of history, but she was a manipulative part of what they were doing to try to get Prince there. And so it was, it's really interesting for her to hear her talk about that and how she felt used and, um, Did and they that get, kind of thing. I don't see Prince's name in this Prince list. Prince didn't go. Prince didn't go, but they, 
the part of the story is they kept her around as long as possible, even though she didn't have a solo. Just um, trying to lure just him. Just trying in. to get Prince to come do the solo. Um, so yeah, it's, it's lots of interesting stuff like that in this uh, in this documentary. So I'd, I'd highly cool. recommend it. Yeah. Hmm. That song was everywhere oh when that God. came out. It played everywhere you turned. It was crazy. Uh, it's amazing they got all those egos all in one uh, mm -hmm. one place to do that. You can yeah. also um, take this song and Michael Jackson's Heal the World and accidentally sing them <laughs> merged together <laughs> without realizing it. Yeah. I did that the other day. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I watched a movie last week. Uh, I'm not a big romantic comedy person. I generally hate romantic comedies. Um, not not because I I'm against love or anything like that, <laughs> but uh, it's just they're all the same movie to me. They're all the exact same. They they always just like ah, let's just go ahead and get whoever's hot in the you know the the lead male role, and let's get whoever's hot in the lead female role, and then let's have them hate each other at the beginning, and then and something happens somewhere where it's like ah, oh, they'll start dating again, start get start dating and everything. But there's one that came out in 2008 that I thought was uh was really good, and I saw it again last week definitely maybe starring ryan reynolds hmm. um in which um he is uh, a man who is about to divorce his wife we don't know who his wife is yet and uh he is taking his daughter home from school daughter played by abigail breslin who is absolutely fantastic in this movie um and uh she wants to hear the story of how he met mom this movie came out during the time of how i met your mother and everything like that but um but uh this is kind of a different sort of a different take on it uh and basically this is ryan reynolds going back all the way to 1992 where he is uh, uh working for the bill clinton campaign and it gets all the way to the present and there are three potential women that this could be. It's either going to be Elizabeth Banks, it's going to be Isla Fisher, or it's going to be Rachel Weiss. By the end of it, you're going to find out who the mother is. And he changes the names of all the of all the women so that she doesn't, so that Abigail Breslin can't guess it right off the bat. He, he tells these stories with different names and so on. And like it's one of these movies where like every time you think one of the women has been has been marked off they come back somehow later on in the movie and you're like, Oh, well maybe she's the mom or whatever. And then that's not even the point of the movie really to find out who the mom is. It's, it's really to figure out who he ends up with by the end of it. So, um, I thought this was really good. Uh, I think <laughs> Isla Fisher is just one of my like favorite all time, uh, just, she's just so adorable i just love her in this movie love her to pieces in this movie of course i love elizabeth banks and rachel vice too but uh but she's a standout in this and this is a different thing for ryan reynolds too because ryan reynolds i mean he's done a lot of these type of movies he's done different from van wilder and deadpool but that's what we kind of know him as is that character and everything and he's really really good in this and i highly recommend this um this one this is a different kind of romantic comedy so there you go let's go with that i must we must have been on some kind of wavelength because i was flipping channels sometime last week and this was on and i watched about 40 minutes of this um mm -hmm. and hadn't seen it in a while and you're right it's it's, mm -hmm. it's quite enjoyable yeah i don't think i've seen um, it yeah all right so go on to our big recommend which is hot fuzz and uh, aaron i'm fine i'm fine it's just that you're so 
big. It's so huge. It's a good rule, but this is bigger than rules. It's bigger on the inside. Is it? I noticed. Hot Fuzz, uh, Edgar Wright's second in the Cornetto trilogy. Uh, and I believe over time has become many people's favorite uh, of the three. Uh, comedy from Edgar Wright. We begin the movie with sirens. Lots and lots of sirens in a vaguely Simon Pegg-shaped figure walking with purpose towards us before Nera positioning us with his various accomplishments. We quickly get the idea that this man, our protagonist, is the classic overachiever. So much so that Bilbo, Davy Jones, and Alan Partridge have to team up to ship him off to be a sergeant in a quaint country town because he's making all of the police in London look bad. Mm -hmm. So Nicholas Angel, as we come to know him, goes uh, to a crime scene there in town to uh, tell his ex Janine that he's being transferred. And then we are a few comedic smash cuts uh, away from checking into his hotel in a town called Sanford by a woman who is either doing a crossword or actually thinks fascism is lovely, or maybe <laughs> both. Uh, Angel then goes to a local pub uh, to kick out some underage drinkers and almost get drunk driven over by a guy named Danny Butterman. This is played by Nick Frost. Uh, he arrests Danny and then finds out the next day he is dun dun dun, a fellow policeman and the son <laughs> of his boss. Police officer, Aaron. Yes, sorry, police <laughs> officer. Uh, Angel is shown around the station where he finds out the evidence room is empty. People throw trash bins at their coworkers, and Oscar winner Olivia Coleman gets around. After a quick pub break with the crew, uh, where we discover Danny is a big action movie fan. This, of course, will play into the movie quite a bit. Uh, and is also very interested in various ways of firing bullets, we find ourselves at the neighborhood watch meeting where we learn of the scourge of the living statue, which will pay <laughs> off at some point. Uh, some more hilarious quick cut montaging as Sergeant Angle gets settled in with various tasks and Constable Butterman enjoys his favorite Coronetto. They then visit James Bond's grocery store, which leads mm -hmm. to a uh, shoplifter foot chase through people's gardens. That's British for yards, in case you didn't know. <laughs> but Mr. Skinner decides not to press charges, but instead brings everybody at the station some biscuits. That's British for cookies, uh, mm -hmm. in case you didn't know. We also get a Shakespearean lesson on the value of the police notepad and an inquiry about the joys of firing a gun into the air while saying, ah. And then the murders begin. The Shakespearean couple are decaffeinated, and it's staged to be a car accident, or shall we say, not an accident. What do they say? A, a collision. A collision. A car collision. Mm -hmm. But uh, uh, an an Angel is suspicious after visiting a farmer in need of double translators, uh, as well as a bigger <laughs> weapon shed. We get a nice sit-down conversation where Angel explains to Butterman why he was destined to be a police officer. And Butterman explains that his story is about staying close to his dad after his mom died before punctuating that emotion by doing the very first magic trick I ever learned straight out of a pen and Teller book that I got when the Scholastic Book Fair was in town. True story. Uh, after they get a little bit drunk, uh, after they get a little drunk, get it? Because he's little and he's drunk. Mm -hmm. They hang mm -hmm. out at Danny's where they watch Point Break, chat about Nick's forbidden horticultural desires and fall asleep while watching Bad Boys. 
all while another staged murder over a classic British fry-up, that's British for we like baked beans with our breakfast foods for some reason, brings us further into this strange case. The next day, Angel is suspicious again, but the Andes are sure it's just an accident before doing uh, my favorite GIF in the history of, yes, I'm pronouncing it correctly, GIFs. It's the one where they both walk off screen and then the first Andy comes back into frame and then <laughs> slides out again. It's my favorite moment in the movie. It just slays me. Uh, later at the Great British Church Bake, uh, something is amiss as we see a hooded figure push a steeple off the roof and in a death that even the Final Destination movies would be jealous of, a man brings new meaning to the phrase religious head case. This eventually leads to Danny and Nicholas hitting the third act conflict cliche about 30 minutes ahead of schedule and some ponderous music as Angel tries to put together the pieces of How this mystery. How much time do you spend on this write-up? I just it write feels... it as I'm watching. That's... <laughs> Doesn't feel like that's what you do. <laughs> I don't even pause, man. I don't even pause. That's crazy. Okay, go on. Um, so I do go back and, and judge a little bit. I should say that. I do go back and judge a little bit. But uh, but yeah. The next day at work, they make up after uh, finding out it's actually Danny's birthday. Angel sneaks by Oscar winner Olivia Coleman's simulated breasts to go get his buddy a Japanese water lily. But instead witnesses a fourth murder but then can't catch the hooded killer. But he's pretty sure it's Skinner, so the whole police force goes down to arrest him only to have him absolved by the security footage and the lack of a leg wound. Then, after a severe case of brainwave while eating his favorite Cornetto, he realizes he needs to see more Scream movies because it's multiple murderers! Uh, he <laughs> figures it out. Later that night, Angel is attacked, uh, by the town's monosyllabic mammoth, but manages to escape and discover that the murders are the result of a dun-dun-dun cult, or maybe an HOA. I don't know. Same difference. <laughs> it kind of is. <laughs> <laughs> and, oh no, the police chief is also involved, and no, dear God, no, not Danny too. Uh, <laughs> Danny uh, shows up and seems to go along with it as well. He tries to then escape through the crypts where he sees the murder and depravity goes further than he could have ever imagined. But he's eventually stopped and stabbed by the only man in town he thought he could trust, one of the dwarves from Snow White and the Huntsman. But mm. it was a ruse. The old catch-up trick works and Angel is convinced to flee until he sees some action DVDs and decides to take the town back in one final action set piece that is somehow both hilarious and awesome for about 20 minutes straight, leading to payoffs on about a dozen different things, including a swan, a miniature town, and Aaron Aronson. After one of the most ridiculous epilogues ever, we finally see that the town is back in good hands, and now when anyone asks Angel if he's seen someone fire a gun into the air and say, ah, he can respond by simply saying, yarp. That <laughs> is hot fuzz. What did you guys think this time through? I love this movie. <laughs> it's so uh, good. It, it's, it is definitely my favorite of the Cornetto trilogy. Um, and I, what I what I enjoy the most about this movie is almost nothing is wasted. What I like is at the you know at the beginning when he goes into the the hotel or whatever, 
uh, he, she's doing that crossword and, you know, he, and she calls him a fascist. And then he's like, the word's actually fascism. And then, then he goes hag. And then he tells her that that's the, uh, you know, that's 12 down, go ahead and do hag. And I was like, Oh, thank you very much. Blah, 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 blah. And then of course, later on in the shootout, she calls him a fascist again. And then he calls her a hag. And I just love that type of stuff. They just keep doing that. They, they keep doing that all the way throughout. This is a movie filled with all sorts of like British legend, legendary actors and everything. Um, one of them is Edward Woodward, who was in the wicker man, who was the main guy in the wicker man, which this movie patterns itself off a little bit, uh, of, um, there's, uh, there's, uh, Billy Whitelaw who's in the omen. Who's like basically the secondary villain in that movie of the omen of course they had like an omen homage in this in this thing there's even a quick cutaway to a swear jar talking about the uh the to, to fix the church roof which then comes into play later on in the movie uh there's constant stuff in the background that ends up g- going in play when he first walks into the little hotel there's swords that the guy sleeping ends up using in the battle at the end there's the whole introduction of all the characters when he's going through the town that ends up being the exact place where the shootout happens. The exact, they're all in the exact places. Um, I love this relationship between Simon Pegg and Nick Frost in this. This is so good. This is, this is a, this is like a romantic relationship. That's never really like, uh, it never, it never goes to like, you know, them going to bed or anything, but it's everything except that just about. Yeah. They even um, cuddle while watching movies. Like it's, there's you a know. point where, where he's, where Simon Pegg says, Oh, I wish I could just take my brain out and not think about any of this type of stuff. And he's like, I have a way of doing that. And he looks longingly in his eyes <laughs> and then he gets up and he goes straight to his DVD collection and pulls out which one point blank or bad boys Two, <laughs> and, and, uh, and so, yeah, it's just been a nice little comment on the fact that you can take your brain out and watch point break and bad boys Two, and, and, and just have fun and not worry about it and everything. But there's even, there's parts where he, you know, he's won that monkey for him he's won the monkey for him he's not won the monkey for himself he gave it to him and later on he's getting he's trying to buy him a japanese peace lily which is another thing that's so funny about that and then i love the fact that the peace lily ends up being something that is used for violence that yeah. is mm-hmm. just stuff that they just constantly throw in these movies and you can't just i mean you could watch this movie 10 times probably and not catch everything absolutely that's i pick up something new every single time every single time mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So yes, I'm a big, huge fan of this movie. I think when I first watched it in theaters, I wasn't prepared for it. And I was, I was a little upset about how long it felt to me when I watched it. But ever since, like ever since the second viewing on, I've just been on board with this as one of my favorite movies of all time. We were talking before the show about Edgar Wright and how he's got this massive list he keeps online of the best movies ever. And we've only ever seen like 30% of them that is represented fully in this movie his wealth mm-hmm. of knowledge uh, and detail. I think what I like about the movie is that you can enjoy it on two different levels. I think it is a perfectly enjoyable movie. Even if you don't catch any of the references to other movies at all, even if you mm-hmm. don't know, those three men sending him to the country in the beginning of the movie are three of the most important actors of our time from England. Even if you just 
think they're extras. I think you can enjoy this movie on that level. But I think the more films you watch, the greater your knowledge of film in general, the more you can appreciate it. And I say that knowing that I won't be able to fully appreciate Hot Fuzz for probably another 30 years. That's how many movies mm -hmm. I need to watch. Uh, mm -hmm. Like you guys were saying, there's so much to, to catch. But I, I made a note very similar to yours, Chris, about how uh, there's nothing wasted here. Um, everything is here for a reason and everything is intentional. And the, 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 the section I wrote down isn't the same parts that you mentioned, but like the section where the killer is thumping the victim on the head, but then it cuts to Simon Pegg flopping down into the yeah. chair. And then yeah. not too long after that, you get, you're pulling my leg and it cuts directly to the killer dragging a victim by pulling their leg. Like mm -hmm. every mm -hmm. bit of this film is there on purpose. And I appreciate that kind of filmmaking more and more uh, the older I get. It's just... Well, and not to mention too the where he's like it's oh it's about to pop off or something like that, and he hits the remote, and that's when the bomb explodes yep. Yep. and everything, uh, which is you know every every I think every character who dies in this movie has something that they say where they're about to die or they sort of I'm about to pop off or I'm about to do this I'm about and, and they die right after they say that so it's really awesome. I noticed on uh, IMDb trivia that the. Danny character was originally a love interest, a female. Mm -hmm. yeah. And when they made it a male, they just didn't change most of the dialogue. And I think that's mm -hmm. part of why it has that rom-com feeling. I, I certainly think that was yeah. intentional, um, that this movie wants to have some of that in there. But I think it's hilarious to try and go back and think of certain scenes and picture a woman saying them and then picture mm -hmm. how Nick Frost is. Because Nick Frost's delivery is most of the fun for me it's not just what he says but like there's a line near the end where simon Pegg says he's appointed himself judge jury and executioner and mm -hmm. without any self-knowledge at all he goes he's not judge judy and executioner and <laughs> the movie just moves on it's like that is a joke for you if you hear it if you have the captions on like so me it probably plays a little better um mm -hmm. But even if you think he's merely repeating Simon Pegg, it's hilarious because of the way Nick Frost says it. Um, I love all the little bits of humor that made me think of nods to, like there's a bit where he walks in to tell his girlfriend or his ex that he's leaving and he walks up and says, Janine, I've been transferred. I'm moving away for a while. And a male voice behind the mask goes, I'm not Janine. Um, that <laughs> felt like uh, That felt like an airplane movie kind of gag. Uh, mm -hmm. There's a moment where Danny tries to jump the fences like Nick had just done and instead trips, falls into the fence and it breaks. And it's, that's like vaudeville type stuff. Uh, there's, mm -hmm. The movie has every kind of comedy from like witty wordplay to physical comedy to uh, parody. Um, it's just, it's almost too much, if that <laughs> makes sense. I'm, I'm praising it, mm -hmm. but it's like, it's like one of those meals that's just, by the end, you're like, that was too much rich food. Um, like, I need more time to process. Uh, but yeah, it's my favorite of his trilogy. Uh, I think it showcases uh, his editing techniques. Yeah, uh, editing as well is ridiculous. Any of the movies. This, this time through made me wish hard for that Ant-Man movie we're never going to get. Because what he could have done with his editing style. 
Well, um, that was that's what I was thinking too. There's the there's the very uh, sharp thing at the beginning where he's going from London to Sanford, where the, it's going on the trains and the taxis and everything. Yeah. And it's every movie we watch, it seems like, does this whole thing where it's like, well, it's time to kind of sit back and just do nothing for a second. We'll see a train passively moving along on the tracks. We'll see him get into a taxi. This is the time for the opening credits. We'll just throw the opening credits over all of this and everything. And here he's just like, you know, and he's, he's admittedly, you know, stealing from Martin Scorsese and he's stealing from, uh, you know, Darren Aronofsky and people like that who are doing, who do, who do this kind of thing. Um, he's also stealing a lot. He loves, he loves in the commentary. He loves citing Tony Scott, uh, in this, uh, especially movies like man on fire and domino mm. things like that is what he, what he kept citing in that. But there's another, this is just a random thing. And I'm, this movie, I mean, this podcast could just be about all the moments in this thing, but, mm-hmm. um, but, the the the, the, the the another one that i love is when he goes to the person who sells the flowers and she tells that whole story about like you know the, this is basically what in a normal uh, uh murder mystery movie would be the reasons why these people are getting killed they are getting killed for far far more mundane reasons than what the what that could actually be a real like like motive for murder that she sets out but every time she brings up the a victim in the story she's a god rest her soul god rest (laughs) the soul god rest all other souls like every time they she's already mentioned a couple of these people and just keeps on saying god rest their soul (laughs) I, i love stuff like that too it's uh and I, and I, and I, and I love the chase afterwards where he's running and then suddenly like he, they're like 20 feet ahead of them. They can't possibly have gotten that far that fast. And you can just see the look on Simon Pegg's face. Like, huh? what just happened? You know, but, uh, yeah. Anyway, you, you guys have mentioned a lot of the stuff that I would, I would pull out, especially the, the love story. I have in my notes. I have that the angel Butterman love story is, is genuinely touching to me. Like mm-hmm. not just that it's, you know, interesting or funny or like I genuinely am moved by their relationship in this movie, which is I think one of Edgar Wright's magic tricks is that he makes these comedies that somehow work as actual movies and not just parodies, right? Like you watch Shaun of the Dead and it's kind of a parody of, you know, zombie movies and yet is a really great zombie movie that just works as a movie. And I Mm -hmm. think Hot Fuzz does the same as, you know, a police action movie where it's clearly an elevated reality kind of parody at times, but it all feels so authentic. It feels so genuine somehow. And I think a lot of that has to do with that central relationship and how authentic it feels. Um, and I just, I think, uh, Peg and, and Frost chemistry is just next level. And I think it just adds to the movie, uh, mm-hmm. so much. Um, you also mentioned that you catch something new every time. It's definitely true. A couple things I caught this time that I'll just mention. And, and again, these are things that people, like, the thing about this is, the things I'm about to say, some people are going to catch the first time. Some people are going to catch the second mm-hmm. time. Some people are going to catch the third time. It's just the movie presents itself in different ways because it's so um, dense. You know, it's so uh, tightly woven. Um, the fact that uh, the Skinner character's game is Splat the Rat, uh, which mm-hmm. is, again, in a callback shown 
Uh, I just didn't put together the rat part of that until mm -hmm. this time. Like, you know, the idea of the splat made sense to me, but then, you know, the the rat is somebody who's telling stories that they shouldn't be telling or, you know, whatever. Mm -hmm. and, and he's literally playing a game called Splat the Rat um, <laughs> was something I, uh, I picked up on this time. Um, a comedic moment I picked up on this time, the mug shots at the end, he still has the steeple coming through his mouth in his <laughs> mugshot. It's yeah. so quick. Like it happens so fast, but instead of taking it out, they just bandaged his chin with the steeple still coming <laughs> through the bottom of his face for his yeah. mugshot. Uh, just absolutely slayed me this time. Uh, Not to mention that. that he, that he's writing all the vitals on that one kid with the cone on his head and, <laughs> and like, and then he has to go back and, uh, write the right, you know, write the correct uh, height on, uh, on the thing and everything. I love that too. Yeah. Um, yeah. and, and also there's that scene where he goes through that house where all the dead people are that, you know, that they, mm -hmm. that the dead people we didn't even know about. Yeah, uh, and like his memories are in the exact order of the things that he sees in the in the uh, thing. Mm -hmm. So he's like, you know, it's like, uh, you know, that's like the, it's the kids, it's the drunk kids, it's the it's the the, the jugglers, the jugglers, and then like of course it's the the living statue, the the abomination, and everything. I also love the fact that that they're they're doing that village of the year thing you don't even know they're doing that village of the year thing i don't think they're doing a judging of that until mm -hmm. that big shootout happens and they pass the three people with the clipboard <laughs> and yeah everything. you know i love that too oh my god this is one of those movies where i sit there and i'm like oh what about this part no what about that part um the other part too is when he gets all the, he gets the cops he finally gets jim broadbent to like you know, to tell everybody this is a murder scene and everything, and they have to go off and do their jobs and everything. And Patty Considine and his partner, like, are there? It's in the pouring rain, and they have their sunglasses on. <laughs> and then they're sitting there, like, he's like, I'm, I, he's like, I am, I am, uh, I was really surprised that I was not at the pub by now. That's what I was surprised about. You know? <laughs> Uh, I wonder, like, if it's one of those movies where it's a futile endeavor to try to pick your favorite part, right? Because mm -hmm. there's just so many things. I will tell you the part I laughed hardest at this time, for whatever reason, was after the the fight with the Yarp guy, and he takes his walkie-talkie, and he does two Yarps, and then he has mm -hmm. to answer no. And to mm -hmm. watch him process, is it this easy? Is it really this easy? Narp. <laughs> what's funny to me is I don't I don't even know if that's what he's saying. But I, I had a, had a note about this moment too, so you're reading my mind. But it's almost he has never heard this guy say anything but yarp. He doesn't mm -hmm. even know if there is a no response. Exactly. And maybe the guy who asked the question on the other end, like, is expecting a different tone of yarp to uh -huh. mean no. Right? He doesn't know. Yeah. He, it, have, he doesn't it, know. It, it honestly, I think he could have said any either one, and it would have been fine because the 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 expectation of him on the other end of the line is that for, is that Nicholas Angel is is dead. So. So it doesn't matter what, whether he says yarp or narp, or even if he says a full sentence in that tone, it feels like, oh, well, the job's done. I don't need to investigate this any further because it's the fact that Nicholas Angel got past that situation uh, is, is so beyond my comprehension at this point. So, uh, 
I, 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 I thought about that too. It was kind of it was a re, it's a really funny moment. There's lots of uh, there's lots of really subtle and funny. Uh, Jeremy, you mentioned how subtle some of this stuff is and how you can catch it or not. It's fine, like it, you know. But there's a lot of subtle rutting gags too. And one of my favorite is uh, Olivia Coleman's character saying you know something completely inappropriate. Uh, and then the 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 guy who's who like we don't understand uh you know everything he says just will utter like tits or uh or balls <laughs> or, or like like he's getting the God. like he's restating the joke or whatever <laughs> i just slay me every time that happened uh i, that I love hilarious. the translating scene with the two guys who mumble that's really funny mm -hmm. to me too mm -hmm. yeah the double yep. translation is great yeah mm -hmm. yeah all right well um i guess jeremy and i need to come up with a super secret double feature Nice buns, soft, fluffy, and ultra low net carbs. Discover Hero Bread, the delicious ultra low net carb bread with incredible taste and texture. Hero Bread has zero grams of sugar and is under 100 calories per serving, plus high in fiber with 5 to 10 grams of protein per serving. Order from hero.co now and get 10% off your first purchase with promo code AH10. That's 10% off with code AH10. HERO.CO. Be very, very quiet. Secret. What secret? Our dirty little secret. I tell you something I've never told anyone. Uh, I, I, I actually took a long time. Oh shit! I, I actually took a long time for mine as well. Um, but uh, I, I wanted to kind of go outside the box, although it still has uh some of the of the elements uh of this and everything. I don't know how this movie matches tonally. But I think a good double feature would be Doc Hollywood, um, mainly right. just because you have someone coming from the big city who ends up in a small city. Of course, he is accidentally in a small city uh, in that in that movie. His car breaks down, which, you know, then later on, um, uh, you know, it inspires the movie Cars. Uh, but um, but like it, it's the sort of the same sort of deal, right? It's a, it's someone who knows a lot about his profession and he becomes the doctor of that town. Um, and a lot of their small town ways don't make sense to him. And he's got to set them straight on a lot of things. But meanwhile, he's also learning things about small town ways that he really appreciates. And by the end of the movie, he really, he really loves the small town by the end of it. So I don't think these movies match tonally, but there's not very many that do. I do. I don't think to have like a, mm -hmm. it's an action comedy that's this smart and well put together. Uh, I saw in. I don't. I don't. I don't want to take Jeremy's if he's if he, if he's thinking about one. But I, I saw one in the chat. Stick. You go ahead. Okay, I saw one in the chat that was really good, which would have been the which would be the other guys, which mm. is has that has a lot of that uh, in there because there's you have the you have the main team with uh will ferrell and mark Wahlberg, but you have that other team that the rock and samuel l jackson are constantly they're doing the patty constantine stuff in this uh but uh yeah it, that would that would be a good one but I, i'm gonna stick with doc hollywood on this um i'm gonna nice. give you two um i'm gonna give you I, the one i want to give you is so out of the box i i feel like i have to give you a traditional one as well so that the people don't riot so my traditional one I believe would match in tone. I believe it is a comedy that takes its action incredibly seriously and has multiple styles of comedy, physical wordplay, parody, uh, and that would be Game Night. Um, mm. 
And I think that would be, you know, Jeremy from a normal week of this show would pick game night. But this week Mm -hmm. I kind of got stuck on how much hot fuzz is both aping and loving these movies and this style of film. Like it's making fun. It's having fun with and parodying, but it clearly loves with its whole heart the stuff that it's making fun of. And I could not get the movie Trekkies out of my brain. Mm. That is a documentary about Mm. Star Trek fans. Totally would be complete miss for a double feature Mm. here. But in Mm -hmm. terms of a movie that makes fun of something it clearly loves and adores, that movie just wouldn't leave my brain after this viewing of Hot Fuzz, just for that reason. I, mm. I'm going to underline game night, but just know that Trekkies is up there, hovering around, <laughs> thinking it deserves some say. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Good anyway, stuff. yeah, that was way off book. Uh, apologize. I'll try not to do that anymore. <laughs> no, please. I think I think those are the most interesting double features. Mm-hmm. Is when we, you know, we could have easily come up with, you know, what the movie itself uh, is basically saying it is. You know, the Wicker Man, or you know, uh, any of these like Point Break and Bad Boys Two, and all yeah. this. You know, you could easily you could easily say those. Um, but uh, I, I was I was trying to think of something that was uh, kind of had some of the same thread but not like and i like i like the idea of trekkies being a double feed there's i guarantee you edgar wright probably like would like that idea <laughs> well the chat is saying galaxy quest and that's another that's a really good yeah. example of something that is Absolutely. making fun of the thing it loves while being the thing it loves so. yeah mm-hmm. galaxy quest a really really good idea on that one that's a good that's a good suggestion good call yeah. shaggy nuts okay <laughs> Yes. Yeah, we he's he forces or he or she or they force us to say that uh shaggy nuts every time we do this is awesome. So uh nuts. anyway, um what is uh going to be the movie that we are going to watch next week, Jeremy? There's been too much laughter around these parts for the last couple mm. of weeks. Mm. Too much hilarity and it's time to bring the hammer of emotion down. Um and maybe you are like me. Maybe you knew of Michael B. Jordan and Ryan Coogler's films like Creed and Black Panther before you ever went back to their first collaboration, Fruitvale Station. Um, Mm. And when you go back to this for the first time or the second time, it should probably break your heart. Um, I'm not giddy about breaking your heart. I'm kind of pretending that I want to, you know, make everybody sad, but tonally we got to, we got to, break things up fruitvale this station is whiplash yeah yeah uh it's a short film hour and 25 minutes uh really well acted octavia spencer's in this uh michael b jordan is the main star chad michael murray um this when i sent my prep email two days ago the internet told me this was on max but right now it's telling me it's on roku channel for free amazon prime peacock with a subscription um so hmm. i don't know try and Find it in places. Um, if you don't find it in any of those places I just named, try Max because you know, Google may just be confused. Um, this is a, a very interesting. Uh, when I first watched this movie, like re- we took a trip to San Francisco uh, the year this movie came out, uh, Jeremy and I, mm-hmm. and he and I stayed uh, for a few extra days, and um, and uh, I I had heard of this movie, but I didn't know what it was about. 
and I rode the BART station from San Francisco to Oakland. Oh, wow. And Fruitville Station uh, came wow. up. And I was like, oh, so it's about this this particular station yeah and uh so um yeah and then i watched the movie i think while i was there so um that's so, wild so yeah, yeah it, it was based it was on a crazy. true story um mm -hmm. and a real place yeah um yeah. and somebody asked in the chat where the trekkies documentary could be found streaming and for that one person i googled and you can find it on tubi or plex or amazon prime for free mm -hmm. so um mm -hmm. if you want yeah, to it's well it worth it i remember it being good yep me too uh i think i built that when it came to Hollywood 27. Um, mm -hmm. Anyway, um, yeah. looks like we've got time for some questions. Yeah. Any questions? <laughs> question. Question. I got something to say. I want the truth. I am listening. Uh, what's your favorite movie with five or fewer characters? Man, this was tough to come up with. I, I, I first I thought it would be easy because you know surely I've seen plenty of movies like this but and then to find one that i actually like too um but uh going back to the ryan reynolds well here he's in a movie called buried nice um that nice. i think is really really good and it's got a great ending to it as well um if you guys have never seen buried uh i would i would uh, recommend that movie but uh and and i was wondering because i haven't seen it in a while remember we all talked about uh lock possibly being in this but we thought that maybe lock had more than five characters and i think they do with the, all the voice acting that's going on in that movie i don't know if there's more than five in this movie uh but I don't there's think so. definitely I, I think there's only a few and i don't yeah. think it gets to five so uh anyway that would be mine and, and i thought about glengarry glenn ross glengarry glenn, glenn ross definitely has more than five mm. so yeah mm. Yeah, I, 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 you know, I think there's, this is like a, a, you know, measure of the law, spirit of the law kind of thing with a question like this, where it's like, you know, you're talking about like one-handers, two-handers, those kind of things. How do you define characters? Is it just somebody who like is cast and has a character name and they're yeah. in the movie? Or is it somebody who's a prominent character? So I kind of went both ways. I think Gravity fits the bill uh, under the spirit of the law. Uh, and Gravity is one of my favorite movies of, of mm. all time. Yeah. Um, and really just features, you know, Clooney and Bullock and, you know, a couple people uh, from the ground crew. But um, but yeah, I mentioned Locke, uh, Tin Cloverfield Lane kind of is that thing, too, where there's voices and other people in it. Do they count as characters? So the one movie I know fits no matter what uh, is Bo Burnham's Inside, which I just adore and mm -hmm. uh, is just Bo Burnham. Everything in that movie is Bo Burnham. Written, directed, edited, produced, you know, all the music, all the uh, acting, um, and uh, is a testament to the mental anguish of the uh, pandemic and being stuck inside and, and at the same time, one of the mo most hilarious things I've ever seen as well. I don't know how he pulled it off, but he did. It's, it's really mm -hmm. impressive. Who's because he's uh, one of those generational talents, right? I, I mean, I, yeah. If I didn't believe it before that movie, I believe it now. Um, I went with the Artifice Girl. I think mm -hmm. you could technically technically hit me because we've got the three main human leads, and then Cherry, the digital character, and then there is that one scene where there's like two office workers who share three lines of dialogue about right. the building being sold. I'm choosing not to call those characters. Exactly. Um, but um, I, I found that to be a difficult one uh, to answer because there's not as many 
you think of something like, oh, Castaway. Oh, shit. There's a bunch of people <laughs> in the beginning and end of that movie. Over in chat, we've got Secret Window with uh, Johnny Depp and uh, John Turturro. I have never seen Secret Window because it was spoiled for me a long time ago, and I heard that the movie wasn't all that great, but uh, maybe maybe something I should visit at some point. Um, Mass, you- which... We'll go ahead. That's a great okay. choice. Mass is a great choice because it's the four of them and then one person, I think, at the church that like welcomes well, and them. Then, yeah, there's one, but there's a two. There's a second Oh, there person. is. There's a second person at but, the church. Yeah. You know, I think when you limit it to five or fewer, you're just kind of being wishy-washy. I think it is. <laughs> <laughs> that person will never submit another question to us. No, I know. I know. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not uh, upset at the question. It's just no, that when not. we're sitting there trying to like you know come up with a movie i think a lot of movies fit the the vibe of what of exactly what this yes. question is asking and and it and then you get technicalities throw it out of whack so i think that's that it depends on how you define it i guess how yeah. many people um, are in the elevator in that devil m night Shyamalan written movie it's like six or seven i think that's yeah. what i thought i thought it was more than five. um oh another one that was mentioned was my dinner with andre and that definitely is two characters and maybe the waiter i don't know if there's mm. if the waiter's even a character really but yeah that would that would certainly oh, Blair uh, Witch. that's a good Blair Witch is another good one although they do interview some people at the beginning i don't know if that if it counts to five anyway yeah, and i thought of like rope like for a second because yeah. it's just really the three of them but that party throws it all off because yeah. there's a party at the beginning when there's a bunch mm-hmm. of people so yeah right um, all right room for one more i believe we have room for one more have you ever adopted a word or phrase from a movie or show and it has become a permanent part of your vocabulary so so many um from the simpsons i uh the the I, you know, watching that show through the nineties and, and, and even beyond. And I finally quit like 10, 12 years ago because it was just too, too much to keep up with anymore. But, uh, there's so many things in there. I'll, sometimes if I say, Oh no, I'll go, Oh no, beta. (laughs) Um, and then like, there's like, uh, anytime somebody says I do, or we do, I go right into that stone cutter song. Like who makes Steve Gutenberg a star? We We do, do. we do. And then like, um, but yeah, it's, it's like a million, like there's a, there's a, an episode where, uh, Matlock shows up, Andy Griffith shows up to the town and Abe and, and, uh, and, and his buddy are like, uh, they are there and they like storm the stage and like steal all this stuff from Matlock. And then they're the next thing there you see is they're on the bus and you hear that one guy who's like, I don't understand, Abe. You, you, you got to meet Matlock and you took his pills. So anytime I say pills, I have to go down into that register and say, <laughs> I need to go take my pills. So anyway, <laughs> um there you go yeah the simpsons i actually had uh one from the simpsons as well that i wrote down which is don't which Mm -hmm. you know is just like not a word but somehow is now a word um and uh and used um in fact i was reading something the other day that the the word meh m-e-h actually started on the simpsons or at least was Hmm. popularized by at least like lisa simpson like Hmm. way back in the day um it's really interesting how that show has had like that cultural impact. But the phrase I think works the best for me is bucket list. Uh, it is a phrase that was not in existence mm-hmm. before the movie. And the movie The Bucket List uh, invented that phrase. And now it's just it has that 
that meaning. I think Slate Slate technically found a use of it in a book like two years before the movie. Oh, wow. uh, they did some research and it had been used, but as far as like you know being in prominence in any way whatsoever, yeah, it was it was that movie. In the spirit of the question, whenever anybody says the bucket list, I have to do Stanley Tucci um, from Easy A. Remind me. After we're done watching the bucket list, to check watch the bucket list <laughs> off of my bucket <laughs> off list. Of my bucket list. <laughs> There's so much like if this movie like I like this question because if it's not a movie quote question, right? Like it's it's like right. an actual word usage question. Like I thought of things like uh, in case I don't see you, good afternoon, good evening, and good night, which I say all the time. But that's a movie mm. quote. That's not necessarily like a word or phrase that that a you know a movie or show kind of mm -hmm. put in my life so I, I really like this question but yeah i think bucket list is probably I have one. several answers i don't think any of them are good um but my wife and i have two short phrases that like chris i have to slip into kind of an impression um anytime we're we're casually apologizing like i don't mean like we're having a fight and we're apologizing i mean like you know i went to hand her something and i dropped it before it got to her i'll be like sorry and then i'll immediately do that guy from seinfeld whose cane steps on elaine's toe in the bakery and she goes ah! and he goes sorry and then he walks <laughs> so if i'm humorously apologizing to my wife i will go sorry um and then anytime one of us says it has to be the other one will do jim carrey from liar liar going it has to be uh after he's asked is that the truth um it has to be um <laughs> yeah and yeah. uh so those are my answers uh to this question so yeah over in the chat we've got uh, more simpsons you fail english that's impossible yeah that's another that's a good ralphism ralphism ralphisms work everywhere they do. um and uh and then like uh shaggy nuts once again started using due diligence after dark night and uh and then eight says yabos which i think is a, a hocus pocus reference i'm not sure that's the first time i had ever heard yabos before but uh anyway maybe he's maybe not i don't know what's going on all right well that's going to do it for uh this episode uh next week will be fruitville station i also think even though i have not truly gotten an answer from my co-hosts over here that we're doing the best of uh, 2023 after this. So it'll be Fruitville okay. Station. And then I think that's where we're going. I'm not sure. sure. I don't. Uh, yeah. I, I'm I, good with I, that. Because it'll be, it'll be something that comes out right after the Oscars. So I, yep. I'm assuming that's where we're headed. But uh, if not, then I'm a total liar. And we'll <laughs> do like five more episodes before we get to the best of 2023 um but uh anyway once again thank you chat for coming out and watching us we love you guys and uh that's gonna do it for this episode we'll see you next time see you bye, bye. be a part of the live show by being a member of the sin club at patreon at patreon.com slash cinema sins Chat with us on the CinemaSins Discord at discord.gg slash CinemaSins or CinemaSins Twitter at CinemaSins and email any comments or questions to recotopia at CinemaSins.com. That's R-E-C-O-T-O-P-I-A at CinemaSins.com. I just literally just read 10 minutes ago the Sam Mendes Beatles movie news. Did you guys see this? No, tell yeah, me about it. it. He's going to make four movies, hmm. each from the perspective of a different Beatle, and release them all in 2027. He's already got the permission and song 
use from all four members of the band or their estates to be the most amazing thing ever or i'm really gonna wish he'd used three years to do something different because i love sam mendes films and i don't give a shit about the beatles so oh really you're you're anti-beatles not anti-beatles listen to my words i don't give a shit about them uh which means <laughs> sounds uh, anti to me but <laughs> they're just another band to me i think okay I think they are the very definition of overrated, hmm. which does not mean they are not great. What is the what was the movie where Phil Hartman had the line, "I didn't like the Beatles and I don't like you." Uh, this <laughs> <laughs> He's never really ever had a big role in a movie, but he always had something memorable. Mm -hmm. It feels like that, yeah. like. He's he has such a memorable moment, and so I married an axe murderer, being that Alcatraz guy. <laughs> yes, you yes. know, is like now this is something that you won't hear on the other tours, but this guy took what we call a bitch, and uh, <laughs> and uh, and, and and they took turns pissing in the guy's <laughs> ocular cavities. <laughs> yes, I I don't know what's going on, but like there's been. I think there's been two or three news stories like this Beatles thing where everybody in the fucking world tells me about it as soon as they see the, see the thing. So early this morning it had somebody text me about the Beatles thing. And then, and then Jeremy tells me about the Beatles thing. And then a completely different person has just texted me about the Beatles. Thing. <laughs> yeah. It's that kind of news. It feels like one of those things where it's like, there's something about it. That's so audacious or something mm -hmm. that everybody's like, Oh I my mean, goodness. We all know the Ringo movie is going to make the least amount of money. <laughs> yeah. I love this idea. By the way, I, I have come out very strongly against like part ones, part twos, and you know, that kind of thing. I think, you know, just make movies. But the exception is if they're released close together, I actually think it's like what Costner is doing, I don't have as much of a problem with the fact that, that both parts are coming up out within like three months of each other, you know, kind right. of thing. Um, that feels a little better to me, but like spreading it out for a year or more, it's just like And that movie's either gonna be amazing or it's gonna be the most self-loving bloated bullshit ever because it's his passion project the mm -hmm. costner thing he's horizon been, is that what it's called yeah, Something horizon like he's been yeah. sitting on it for 20 30 years i'm pretty sure he wrote it he's starring in it he's directing it produced it so it's it could be dances with wolves or it could be the postman and i'm hoping for the better i like more of his movies that he's directed than i don't but i just watched uh wyatt earp uh for the first time in a while and actually really uh, really enjoying it and more than i thought uh i would so um yeah i think i think he's in his zone with this stuff don't make me have arguments i used to have 20 years ago about tombstone quiet up and tombstone they well, can both be good they're in the same I, right they're totally different movies they're not trying to be the same thing at all no i just the thing that bothered me was that as great as val kilmer is in tombstone and he probably is the best thing about it it ended up overshadowing Dennis Quaid's performance in Wyatt Earp, right? Which is just as amazing. Yeah. Um, and uh, that may be why I'm such a Wyatt Earp stan, is because uh, that performance, plus the, the OK Corral sequence in that movie, is pretty rad. I think you're a Wyatt Earp stan because that movie's amazing. I, again, I just watched it. It's really, really good. <laughs>
That movie is weird, man. That's another one I just recently watched. Um, Young Guns? Yeah. That, that, I had never seen it. And I, it was oh, like... man. How does that play today to somebody who's never seen it? Not well. <laughs> that's what I was thinking. That scene where they're in the house and all the bad guys, all the cops are outside. And he's like, I see you got this one guy with you. And then he stands up and shoots him. Not with you anymore. <laughs> I will never forget that scene. I watched two commentaries on Hot Fuzz. Oh, nice. Because um, I have the disc and it's got like four or five mm -hmm. commentaries on it. One Jeez. of them is it. One of them is Edgar Wright and, and Simon Pegg, which is the one I wanted to see first um, uh, to see the creators talk about it. And they talk, they, they, they don't go too much in the weeds about the movie. I mean, they'll talk about actors and movies that influence them and stuff like that. Very interesting commentary overall. Then there's one with Edgar Wright and Quentin Tarantino. Can you imagine that one staying on the rails? Wow. Oh my. <laughs> I was like sitting there listening to that one. I was like, okay, what kind of insight? And there is some insight, but it's more like listening to Edgar Wright and Quentin Tarantino do a podcast. Right. And, and they're, they're just kind of talking about all these British action films and <laughs> directors and actors that you've never heard of before. Right. And I'm like, I feel like such a simp when I listen to them uh, talk about all this stuff and everything. But, it was an interesting thing to hear Edgar Wright say that he was a movie projectionist uh, back oh, in wow. uh, uh, 1989, apparently. And apparently he was very not good at it or whatever <laughs> or something. And three three months later, he was gone. Uh, but he said that uh, he he the, some of the movies that were playing during the time that he was doing the projectionist stuff was Beaches uh it was like uh friday the 13th part four or something like that and then like police <laughs> academy six uh we're playing but uh he said something like um the, you know there was a thing there was a there was there was a thing in the in hot fuzz where they're going into the house with all the guns and everything and you hear that soundtrack which i had always attributed to lethal weapon and it is attributed to lethal weapon but it's not in the movie it's just music for the trailer Oh, wow. And I had I had heard that I, I, much like Edgar Wright when Lethal Weapon Four came out, I believe. I used to hear that trailer, that music, all the time. So I was like, I know this is from like Lethal Weapon, or it's at least something that Lethal Weapon took from some other movie and put it in the trailers. But I didn't realize they did that on all their trailers. They had that whatever. But I thought that was funny that like if you were ever a movie projectionist you 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 know back in especially back in the 35 millimeter days you saw trailers hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times and uh and you just just knew them and you just knew mm -hmm. everything about them and and it's funny that he got inspired by a lethal weapon 2 trailer uh back in the day and it's amazing put that music in his movie yeah there's a level of of film fandom or encyclopedic knowledge that I just, I don't know how to comprehend it. And when I listen to Qu both of those guys, when I listen to either mm -hmm. of those guys talk, I'm just like, all you do is must be sit down and watch movies. Like I watch a lot of movies. Like I watch, you know, 150 movies a year at least. Right. I feel like that's a mm -hmm. lot of movies. They must be watching 500 movies a year at least. Like yeah. it's insane. I think they are. I think they are. I mean, I think that, 
not not every director, but I think those guys in particular are just fucking film fiends and they'll yeah. blow up five movies a day. Um, yeah, I mean, I I, I'm so. I'm jealous. I'm a little jealous. Like that's you know that's I love movies, man. But there's just like I listen to them talk. I can't imagine them having a conversation together. Well, like Edgar Wright has his what is it, thousand and one movies you know, greatest movies or whatever. He keeps it updated on letterbox and you know, whatever. Mm. And I, I've seen, I think last time I checked 31% of that thousand and one movies. And I'm just like, that's like 700 movies. I have to watch that are the best movies ever made. (laughs) I saw him do a, it was a, there's a video on YouTube with him talking about top 10. I don't know if it was a genre or if it was an all timer or what, but he went through these 10 movies. And I think this was when he was doing, uh, what was the last movie he came out with? Uh, I can't remember. Last Night in Soho? Last Night in Soho, that's right. Uh, he he was naming like 10 horror movies or something mm-hmm. like that. And I was like, nope, I haven't seen any of these. <laughs> yeah. Mm. Yeah, but let's, let's remember this. Christopher Nolan gave an interview recently where he said he unapologetically loves the Fast and Furious movies. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So l- let's take all directors' lists <sighs> with a grain of salt, right? <laughs> Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the King of Sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.